Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you one uneasy page of Talmud every day. And as I read today's pages, it's a triplet, 47, 48, and 49 in Yevamut. I came across a passage that really kind of made me stop and, and sort of gasp for a little bit. It, it describes a situation in which Jews wage war, uh, and one Jewish soldier sees a very beautiful woman uh, who he wishes to take to himself as his bride. And then there's something very particular that she needs to do, and the Talmud tells us precisely what. Have a listen. Each Tana explains the basis of his opinion. Rabbi Eliezer said, An act of doing is stated with regard to the head, that she should shave it. And an act of doing is stated with regard to the nails, just as there with regard to the hair on her head. The Torah requires its removal. So too here, with regard to her nails, the Torah requires their removal. Rabbi Akiva says, An act of doing is stated with regard to the head, that she should shave it. And an act of doing is stated with regard to the nails, just as there with regard to the hair on her head. The Torah requires that she do something that makes her repulsive. So to hear with regard to her nails, the Torah requires she do something that makes her repulsive, i.e. allowing them to grow. In other words, the Torah tells us that this poor, unfortunate woman uh, who was just taken captive and is now being forced into a marriage she didn't choose must make herself repulsive before it is permitted for her Jewish captor to marry her. This is a very difficult passage for me. And whenever I come across difficult things and feel I need extra special spiritual Talmudic heavy lifting, I call on my very wise friend, Rabbi Sari Laufer. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, as always. What do, what do you make of, of this paragraph? Oh, it's so complicated. So first, I think I needed, at least for myself, to put it in context, right? And it's in this larger context of, of a conversation about who gets to choose their identity and who doesn't, right? Who has agency in their own life and who doesn't? Because they're earlier in this stuff or the stuff before that, right, they're talking about how someone converts and what does a slave have to do versus what does a free person have to do and and this idea of who gets to choose who they want to be in the world right so like even i think in that context in some ways it's even more poignant of this woman who actually has almost no agency and so then i come to this question and it's an interesting question right is she making herself repulsive to sort of ward off his advances until she is permitted to him you know, which brings up all sorts of really challenging stuff, even in our culture today, right, about women and what we wear and how we get blamed for not our own behaviors, but things that happen to us. So there's this question of, like, is she doing this to make herself physically unattractive for some period of time? Or, and it's, I think, where the text continues with us, there's also a sense of warning, right, that she is literally taking on some of the characteristics of a mourner. Right. Um, and and like what does that say about her her status and her state in this text? I don't have an easy answer. Um, but there is this question for me of for whom is she doing this? And I think you know if the answer is she's doing this for the benefit of this guy who is literally in the verb taking her, that is extra troubling, whereas there is, at least for me, this sense of like, but if she's doing this for herself, if she's doing this to say, I have almost no agency, but I can take my body and I can take this time 
to sort of, you know, whether this is my protest or rather whether this is the process I have to go to to bring myself around to what is happening in this moment. Like at least that to me gives some agency. I don't know if that's the source of it. The first couple of times I read it, I, I needed some some time and some space to overcome the the sort of inherent difficulties, especially for you know modern sensibilities of this passage. But when I started reading it again and again, I sort of felt myself leaning more towards the latter, meaning it's not just her taking agency over her own body and saying, okay, well, look, I, I'm here to recognize that, in fact, I have no agency and it's a thing that I must mourn and this is a very kind of inner-focused activity, but also in a way to sort of recalibrate or reorchestrate the man's sensibilities, right? The Talmud almost says like, okay, well, you did this thing. You were attracted to her in this very kind of like animalistic, physical thing. You only right. took her because she was beautiful. We're, we're told that. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make her unbeautiful. We're, we're going to give you too another option to overcome your your sort of animal desire, your violent inherent instincts and see that you're actually marrying another person. And if you could see her as a person, as a human, then it's great. And if not, then, well, there'll be no actual betrothal. Right. I had that thought too of the sort of, okay, you fell in love. And I actually sometimes say this to to wedding couples, obviously not using this text, right? But this idea of- <laughs> You don't? You no, don't find this to be the most that. romantic thing? This is going to be really helpful. You know, but this idea of like, yes, we do. We fall in love with physical, right? That is part of, that is the way we work as humans, is that we see physical attributes. And then the, the work of love, and I think the work of relationship is like falling in love with all the rest. I could make that argument here. Right. Of saying like, yes, you fell in love with me because I'm gorgeous, but now I'm going to like make myself unattractive to you. And do you still, right? Are you still interested? The piece that I find challenging, of course, is, okay, so if he doesn't, then what? Right? <laughs> She's sort of you damaged, right? Like, where does that leave her? Right. And that's a conversation for another day. But Rabbi Sarilaufer, as always, uh, you've brought us wisdom and comfort. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Rusquet and Quinn Waller. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Mark Oppenheimer, Sarah Fredman-Ader, Robert Scaramuccia, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You can find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic and we will see you again soon. Thank you.